This podcast is made for entertainment purposes only. Any references to illegal activity should not be taken seriously. In the embassy to uh, put it on top of the pile and to get it in within a few hours. Yeah. I mean, I can already count like three or four Nathan's bribery stories at this point. Okay, let, let's Remember not go. Rest. But they are always accidental bribery stories. Like we were talking about with Mariam, they are accidental ones. When mm-hmm. when you just pay in your like naive mind of being like, this is the normal thing. I am paying for a service. This is what's happening. And then you're like, one second, what service did I pay for? And why did I have to pay in cash? And why don't I have a receipt? What's happening? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I learned from Nathan and I did my bribery well. I, I got to make my first bribe on my trip. But this Ooh. one, it was not an accidental one. Okay, okay, Joe. Okay, so what? So, yeah, because you, you just did a session over in Ankara, right? Mm-hmm. And are, are you telling us, uh, and this is public by the way, are you telling <laughs> us that you paid a bribe on your way to Ankara? No. Now my way to a no, uh, yeah no. Um, allegedly, I might allegedly. have. Um, I went to the session. I was like, okay, Turkey has some of the weirdest shit. I went to this website. It's called Atlas Obscura. It lists the weirdest places that countries have to offer, and turns out that somewhere kind of. Around the like half point between Istanbul and Ankara, there's a place called Mudurno. Tiny little village has uh, pretty traditional Turkish wooden houses, not much else, like an old church or something. And next to this village, uh, some person, I think from Dubai, said, okay, let's buy a bunch of fields. There's some like thermal underground water thing. Let's build 700 identical castles here. (laughs) And then they got like 500 something done. And then the financial crisis hit Turkey in 2019. And now there's a sit there. Wow. (laughs) That that is the facial expression. How large are these castles? They're like three or... Yeah, three stories plus a basement, so four stories. Uh, they were, if I had to guess, somewhere like 80 square meters in livable area, maybe a bit more, maybe 100. They're, they're not massive, also because this is so many of them. If they were more massive, they wouldn't fit there. So then where does you paying a bribe come into this mix? It comes into this mix and the fact that Eastern Europe has this weird habit of, like, hey, we have this abandoned place here that we're not using for anything. Let's put a guard there. <laughs> because who else is going to protect this abandoned place that we're not using for anything? And you wanted to visit said place. Yes. And rich white European comes in, opens up his pocket and says, hello, Mr. Guard. <laughs> I would like to visit... Subsequently, with Joel's money, they funded the 200 remaining castles. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a pretty strange thing. I don't know. No, the way I see it, I was um, allegedly supporting the local employment. <sighs> Why would they be sitting there other than that? <laughs> some side income. <laughs> did you at least like take some nice pictures that you can then share okay. with us? Okay, you did. Okay, so you went into full tourist mode. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Enjoying it. This reminds me of a story in uh in Georgia, and I was. It, it was kind of funny because I was just like, there, I, I went to this random place and like, uh, you know, Tbilisi used to be really big for tourism before, um, you know, COVID and everything, obviously. And the place was empty and there's just this random stand by this really beautiful waterfall where they're just selling orange juice. And the place was empty. There was not a single other tourist in the area we'd seen for hours just being there. We were just three random people, you know, Irish people just roaming around and uh, just seeing the place. And then we went there. It was like, okay, I'm going to support them. I'm going to buy an orange juice. I was like, how much is it? And they went, 20 lari. And it was like, that's eight euros. <laughs> it's like, it's like, and, you know, they saw that I had like, because I had like 20 lari like in my hand because I like naturally I expected to get in chain. I was like, um, <laughs> I, I don't know, can I do this now? But I've kind of committed to it. And so I ended up paying. <laughs> I, I paid like I think it's I think it's about eight euros. It's probably like seven or eight euros for orange juice in Georgia, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And and yeah, everyone there just mocked me for the entire rest of the trip for paying that much for for a glass of orange juice because I went to we went to a restaurant later, and there was like an option for steak, and the price was eighteen lari, and so. <laughs> I was, I really hope she got a great meal with my orange juice. What was it nice though? Was it good it, orange? It juice? was beautiful orange juice because it was oh, like wow. hand squeezed or whatever. But like, yeah. I mean, oh, that was the the worst regret I've had in terms of buying something which was obscenely overpriced out <laughs> of just social awkwardness because. In Ireland, I would have just told them to go away, but I just don't know. In that situation, I was just like, oh, well. This is why they fuck tourists up. <laughs> awkward <laughs> Irish kids be like, I don't know how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, you're here now telling us the story about how you paid eight euros for some orange juice on the street. Like, think about the story that they told when they went back home. They're like, okay, guys, guys, you're never going to believe this. So, like, today was completely dead. There was no one around. And I was like, okay, this is useless. I've already, like, crushed these oranges and I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff. And there was this, like, Irish kid who comes up. He gives me this 20 note and he says, how much? I'm like, yeah, I'll take your 20 note. And he gave it to me. I was just joking. But then the kid insisted. And I was like, okay. <laughs> You know, some of these kids are generous. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. They proceeded to make a luxury orange juice brand specifically aimed at EY peers and became the wealthiest <laughs> Georgian entrepreneur in history. Yeah. So, Joshua, I do have a question for you, which is around why is it that whenever we go to an IS, it is the Irish delegation that are like twice above anyone when it comes to debating anything. Like anyone starts to debate anything and it's always the Irish delegation that I find that just somehow find the perfect words to like nail every debate. 
It's 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 the Dunning Kruger effect. It's because Irish people are really loud and overconfident. <laughs> we just have that in our blood. I mean, um, because if you, I don't know if any of you have been to the Monster Regional session. It's the largest regional in the network. Like last this year, we we're aiming to have 190 delegates. We didn't because of of COVID and it went hybrid. But you know, uh, generally it's around 160 delegates for a regional and 60 officials. So, but like. If uh, so, you have like I don't know, like maybe thirteen committees and sixteen to a committee or something ridiculous around that, and they're all so loud. It's like if you don't shout all the time, you will not be heard. Like when I chaired it two years ago in person, there was there was someone. You don't have to ask them like, "Do you want points?" That's not how it works. They tell you, "Okay, I want to make the attack speech, and if I don't get that one, I want to make one of the next three. And like, literally, I, I at some point, I was just like, okay, you all want to do attack speeches. So can you just like, you know, maybe like write which ones you want to do in advance? And I swear, one of the delegates, they put down every single committee as a preference for what they want to do an attack speech on. It was just, ah, it was fascinating. But yeah, that's definitely where it stems from. You just have this kind of overconfidence. If you're not in, especially in Monsters, if you're not the loudest in the room, you won't be heard. And so you really have to, you know, you have to have an opinion on everything. And so if you survive that and you get to an IS, yeah, you're going to be pretty uh, good at um, telling others they're wrong and uh, having strong opinions <laughs> on things. <laughs> <with no. laughs> yeah, if anyone from the Irish Anthony board is listening, you should make this a brand and just like do <laughs> session merch earplugs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, and, and, and everything would be like, I made it three monsters. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Another thing with monsters is that why it's kind of another resilience test, another like kind of bear grills if you survive this kind of thing. It's because there's like, even as an official now, you'd have like eight to 10 to a room, right? And mm-hmm. there's going to be one shower per room. So naturally, if you want to have a shower, like you're going to have to wake <laughs> up at like 5 a.m. <laughs> and like it's monsters, so you stay up to like four AM anyway. And so your average amount of sleep per day, if it's beyond three hours, you're you're a miracle maker, essentially. And like and so monsters, I remember uh when I was a delegate, I I didn't have I don't think I slept for more than an hour a day the entire session. And so in GA literally, like I passed out during the last committee thing. <laughs> and that's just Damn. how tired I was. <laughs> But yeah, so like you always hear about in IS is people pass out. Monsters is just that intense is that you pass out in a three-day session. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, from, from what you were describing about the sleep schedule that, you know, uh, people sleep so late anyway and you have to wake up ridiculous hour if you do want to shower, it kind of sounds like it's just a very smelly session. Yeah. <laughs> like If that was me, like my preference would be like, okay, I'm sorry, guys, but you're going to have to deal with this. <laughs> there's no way i'm gonna wake up that early no literally what i did is that essentially i you know you could take the early route but there's also the late route and so basically while everyone went to, down to get their breakfast what i had a plan i was going to have a shower during breakfast time and so on the first day the in in the hostel like sheila's they have like all these kind of chocolate croissants in plastic wrapping and so on the first day i just got like 30 of those i put them in my bag and then every <laughs> Every single day when everyone went off to breakfast, I woke up, I had my shower, then I ran straight to the bus for the transfer. And just, I had the chocolate croissants every day. Nice. <laughs> what well, it was an experience. 
It was well, good fun. I, like, Having seen your your kind of food schedule um, in <laughs> in Azerbaijan, for me, I would say that a croissant, a, 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 a chocolate croissant, meets one of your five fruit and veg a day. It meets several. I mean, it's it's got it's got bread. Um, it's got this one. <laughs> I guess some milk. Some milk. It probably has some milk. Yeah, it, it, it the- cocoa, it, like energy, like. Uh, Egg, probably there's some egg. egg in yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, carbohydrates <laughs> are. It, how is the carbohydrates? I, I don't even know, but um, I probably drank some orange juice with that that I, I stole Ooh. as well. So there you go. That's five. That's, That's five. five a day. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to get a feeling that you are the reason why EYP Network is so concerned with well-being in the first couple. Of years. <laughs> Wow. It's like he <laughs> is the reason why our whole like international organization that stretches <laughs> over 40 countries and has 30,000 plus people <laughs> is changing the foundations of our policies. The safer <laughs> years before I joined the organization, there was a prophecy that I would arrive and they'll, they'll say they created the safe person in preparation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I recently also had a pretty horrible uh, sleep schedule situation in the in the last session I did now just recently, and I came back and this whole Ukraine crisis started. And uh, Anastasia was talking about that with me and saying, "Well, it doesn't really make sense in a way that we push so much on EYP of like people getting eight hours of sleep a day." Because it really prepares you for these situations when everything goes to shit and you need to do all-nighters. And just you, you have the experience of doing it and surviving it and doing it in a, in a way, a good way. This is true, actually. Like, a thing where EYP has really helped me is with um, assignments. Like, uh, I remember once... Mm-hmm. I was ridiculously behind on my lectures, but they were all recorded, so it's fine. And, like, one of the lectures, they announced an assignment, and it was like... Don't don't start this three days before the assignment. Like, you know, if you're thinking about this, you're not going to get it done. And literally, I was watching that lecture three days before the assignment was due. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll start that. But first, I need to watch the rest of the lectures. And so I procrastinated for two days. I didn't watch the rest of the lectures. And then I decided at around 12 p.m., this is due at like, you know, 3 p.m. tomorrow. So I'm just going to start this. And... I think I submitted it at like 8 a.m. the next day. And that's something I wouldn't have been capable of if it was not for EYP. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, it's a really strange double-edged sword because on one hand, it would be good if we had some more well-being in our, in our sessions. And it doesn't really do good for some people. But I guess some people can manage it. Nathan, what's your experience with... Uh, this whole glorifying uh, sleeplessness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get like, I think we've had this kind of chat a few times where you and I are on pretty quite different sides of this, of, of, of this debate where, so my, myself, I definitely see myself as the kind of person who benefited a lot from the sleepless schedules from a lot of like these kind of things. And like, that's the narrative that I kind of gave myself a lot of time. But then I started to look back at it and I started to realize, okay, we're in a, 
you we're in a situation where we're with all these young people who are away from their families, away from their homes, and they're placed into a new environment, which is with all these weird and wonderful games and activities and social pressure going on. There's all different feelings that people can experience. And if somebody is being slightly overwhelmed by this and they're not going to necessarily speak up for what they're truly experiencing because of the peer pressure and everything around them, then we need to be able to, let's say as leaders there, we need to be able to notice and we have to be able to pick up on kind of key cues from different people to kind of realize, hold on a second, the space I've just created isn't a safe space. Or yeah. these people are actually being marginalized because the environment I'm creating is about who speaks the loudest. This is going to kind of carry on going through or about it's going to be dominated by one gender or one ethnicity or culture or, or linguistic ability or something like this. And I kind of really find that from a leadership point of view, you really struggle to pick up on social cues when you're tired and when you're drunk and when like these kind of things. So the more we kind of then push into the side of let's not get sleep, let's kind of continue, 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 then we can do really, really well with certain elements. But I think there's a lot of other elements that are really important in EYP that we start to do a lot worse on. And if we as leaders then start to do worse on that, then them as individuals don't have that space, aren't being protected, and suddenly their experience uh, we probably don't hear about because they don't continue EYP. So we kind of have this survivor's bias of the people who continued EYP for a very long time are the people who thrived in this environment, or sometimes people who didn't necessarily see that this environment is their plan A, but somehow managed to push through it. But like those people who somehow pushed through it and it wasn't catered to them would be like the minority drowned out by our majority voice yeah i definitely agree that it's a very big thing in leadership on not having the energy to really be mindful of everyone around you but would you what would you say in looking for as like a media team member where you don't have the responsibility of so much looking out for others mm. I would say it all, on the one hand for leadership, it is the most important, but in every single team, you are a delegate in a, in a committee, you're a media team member in a media team. And as a team member, you are, anything you do, anything you say, and any way you behave is going to have an impact on your fellow team members. And the more tired, the more drunk, the more kind of these different things kind of cloud your ability to judge certain situations is going to make that environment less and less safe for those other people. And it's going to make the environment less and less inclusive. So for, for the people who would, the minority who thrive in an environment like that, amazing. For everyone else, not so good. I'd say it does more impactful thinking about it on a leadership perspective, but I feel it does also have the same kind of thing with everyone in the, in the session. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you're always um, contributing to kind of a a social environment and and this kind of uh, by, I don't know, like uh, creating unsafe spaces. Like even if you are a media team member, you're kind of creating a FOMO, like uh, for everyone who's not participating. Mm. And that's something I've definitely kind of realized because I, I remember I've, I've been at sessions and like there's a big party going on. And like 
it's in your room and it's incredibly difficult like if you actually really need to sleep and and you're really struggling it's it's incredibly difficult to actually go yeah actually this is my room can you can you go somewhere else please and so you don't and that's kind of a a big problem and even like because i i have like commonly like um recently i've i've realized that if i don't get 8 hours sleep at, at one day at a at a like slightly longer event i will i will die i won't function properly so i do try and do that and it takes a, it takes a lot because when you know like other other things are going on and people are having fun and people are talking to one another and you're missing out on all that that's it, it's it's quite difficult to like make the conscious decision i'm actually just going to sleep now i'm going to skip out on all these you know, amazing opportunities, like social opportunities going on. And that's a tough decision to make, but it's a decision you kind of have to make if you want to survive, like, and keep doing EYP without burning out severely for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in this Ankara forum, I was put in a quite a interesting situation regarding this because there were things that were really impacting my stability before the session and the session itself that turned out to be quite hectic with the, well, whatever, everything I have with Corona with every single session these days. And I kind of found myself in this situation where even if I wasn't pushing myself to do, or like if I, even if I wasn't prioritizing social gatherings during the night time, I was still too exhausted and kind of running on adrenaline mm. to really put myself into kind of mode where I would have been able to pick up on this kind of cues. And then yeah, I, I did end up making the kind of judgment call of I need the kind of positive reinforcement of this kind of gem moments that happen during the night with the when you actually have time to talk to people about non-session things and i just made the judgment call of i need that connection with people in order to keep myself motivated and running on this kind of adrenaline fumes that i still have going mm. and it's a it's an interesting situation also because it's a very double-edged sword in the way that as I did that, we got feedback that some some people in the officials team were really happy to see the leadership chilling and partying throughout the nighttime. And I, you do get the positive side of it for some people that are the kind of loud majority. They they really do enjoy and do do get the kind of vibe of you you building the team in a way through your participation in social activities even if it is uh, taking from your sleep that is that is so true i remember myself as a as like a a chairperson and stuff like back in 2012 2013 and whenever like the president would go to sleep at like 10 11 o'clock and stuff i'd be like well, you're not really including yourself in our activities. You're not, you're kind of creating this wall between you and us that that's not very inclusive. And I kind of built that narrative in my mind around it. Whereas the ones who would then join us until the end, until four o'clock in the morning, I'm like, yeah, you're with the people, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this thing. We're all in here together and we're all one. And this is amazing. Um, and then from like that dichotomy of seeing that and having that experience and now trying to approach it a slightly different way what i feel is important is the narrative 
that that president or that leadership team then kind of give and whatever choice they make whether whether the choice is that they decide to spend sleepless nights with them kind of given that narrative of the reasons why and being open to that discussion or saying you know what we're actually i'm going to try to make sure i'm in bed before midnight every single night and these are my reasons why i want to make sure that if let's say at 10 a.m tomorrow somebody is feeling uncomfortable but doesn't want to voice that i want to be able to pick up on that and i think if i sleep after midnight i probably won't be able to pick up on that so that's what I'm going to be doing for you. You can think about how you are going to make sure you're going to be there for your teams. And if you would like to follow suit and do this as well, you can definitely can. And I encourage you, you know, like building that kind of narrative. I found, find that if somebody had done that as president, when I was in their team, I would have thought about this topic way different for so many years. Yeah. I guess there's also, you know, ways you can attune yourself to, being mindful of those kinds of things, even if you are running a bit low on low on sleep, to all sorts of meditation practices, for example, you could refocus on those kinds of things. But that, mm-hmm. well, everything in EYP is kind of a opportunity cost. That's so true. Yeah, I think in general, even outside of leadership and outside of being a safe person, I think. Trying to work on intervening on other people's behalf is something we should definitely work on as an organization because we we generally like we we put it all on the safe personal leadership. It's like this is your job. Where in reality, like most of the information is going to be picked up by people who aren't those people. Because, for example, like when I was jury at a session, I was just randomly talking to a chairperson, as you do. You know, you debrief and you're just talking about these delegates. Like, okay, were they? Like during GA, were they giving points to other people or whatever? Were they kind of, you know, uh, were they trying to get speeches and they didn't get them? And they just randomly said out of the blue, and it was something like, basically, oh, this delegate, they were that like another delegate was meant to get this speech, but another delegate shouted at me and this delegate to give me, give them the speech. Uh, Like they were very aggressive about it. It was like, and it was after, you know, GA had ended, it was after the session, and it was just, it just stunned me. It was like, what do I do in this situation? And obviously I was like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, like, do I go to that? Do I go to the safe person in that situation? Like, do I, 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 I could encourage them to, but is it my place to actually go in without them saying they want that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's something we should kind of work on. And, and I, I think as an organization and make kind of, yeah, make standards like, okay, this is when you should actually do something for others, even if they don't necessarily say they want it. This is something you should report. You know, something like, uh, along those lines is definitely something. Yeah. Yeah, the whole safe person practice is very new in EYP. And I think it's going to, in many ways, develop quite naturally over time. But it's definitely some, like, I'm a bit concerned if we start coming up with, like, strict guidelines on when do you need to do it. Of course, in some situations in leadership that that and in some very serious cases that is necessary. But in the kind of situations that you talk about, Joshua, it's uh, I'm also a bit concerned of like becoming a some sort of a nanny state with the whole event safe person system and trying to force people to. You know. Yeah, I mean, it it's more so you know if, if there's a situation where people describe something which is so like 
uh, uncomfortable. Like if you're kind of like, let's say you're a VP and you literally see like, I don't know, like a chairperson or or the other way around, like literally one of them bullying another person um, and insulting them. Like when do you kind of intervene is kind of the question. When do you contact someone? Like is that like you can't really put that on the safer because the safe person is not really going to go into the committee rooms and not going to really see those kind of real interactions. And so is it right yeah. to put it all on them? I mean, I feel like that's a very polarized kind of, no, not a polarized, that's a pretty clear cut example of if you see someone in your team literally bullying someone, well, I, I think you should be there that, to kind of protect the people. Even that may not be clear cut because one person's bullying could be playful to another person. That person could just feel like, no, no, we're playing. You know, yeah, like, for example, I, I've taped somebody to a chair. I, actually, not so, I, I've taped many people to chairs in UIP. I've done that many, many a time. Um, even during meetings and stuff, then they're taped to a chair and they can't move. Then at the end of the meeting, we have to kind of, like, cut them free. It, 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 like, I've done that. And then it was that bullying? Was that playful? Like a lot of that is is very subjective and it depends on the relationship that those two people have and the context and things like this. And there were probably many times that when I was doing that, that I went way past certain limits that I should have gone past and that was wrong for me. And I should have had some kind of intervention from someone or from myself as a realization to be like, this is fucked up. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's not black and white like that. Even in these examples, it's still a lot of grayness. Mm. And that's what we constantly deal with in all these situations in UIP. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in that case, when it comes to what the quote-unquote victim considers as bullying, I think UIP is very prepared for that in the way that our feedback system completely revolves around feelings of other people involved in the situation. So you have the kind of source of, you can talk to the one that you see as a victim and kind of make sure that you are seeing what you are mm, and not just like march in straight away, pull out the chair. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Throwing a chair at you as revenge straight away and saying, but this doesn't count as bullying because I'm doing it against <laughs> you and I declare you as the bully. So that's okay with my narrative. Bullying the bullies. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> that, that, that that's like that's another can of worms a deep thing that we can relate to so many things but 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 instead of going to that stuff so um so yeah joel so i i, I met joshua at um at the t3t uh so we spent that time in azerbaijan together and actually that, that's like a kind of common thing with both of you the first time i met you guys was both in azerbaijan hey. um a few a, f a few years uh, quite a few years well, one from the other like what, five <laughs> years or what, four or five years but it was still the same location. And uh, we were doing this like T4T. We were each of us learning. So, you know, uh, we started to kind of introduce this like e-learning and like blended kind of uh, like both blended, but also like a hybrid asynchronous approach of taking learning and then converting to e-learning and this kind of stuff. The funny thing was, is that we as trainers were probably learning more than you guys at the same mm. time. As in, I was the only one who had actually built any e-learning before, and I had never used the tool that we were working with during that session. <laughs> so we were like constantly trying to learn the stuff as we were teaching you guys. It was like this 
and um, like within my workplace now since afterwards now I've been going to all different other things with this e-learning trying to like understand more build more build more different methodologies and I remember you were saying that you are also going to start to kind of look in UIP Island um, to see what kind of more kind of formal training things and how, how how that could be organized more on like an NC level compared to what we tend to do more on an international level. It's like, how's, how's that been going? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Basically um, I, I just, I, I love to articulate like the kind of the, the software we're using. And, and I just, I, I found it fascinating because it's kind of um, the idea I had, I, I just put myself back in the mind of when I just started going into EYP, uh, you know, as an official, and there was just so many things that I was just completely unaware of that I just seem so obvious to me now. Like, I remember when I was starting, I was like, I'd never be, I, I said explicitly, I could never be a chairperson. It seems so daunting. I could never do that. Um, and then once I tried it, I did it nine times in a row, like uh, nonstop. And so, like, you know, and, and just even how to write an application. My first application, I wrote 900 words per question because there was no word limit. And I had no idea that was a totally abnormal thing to do. And I, and I made it. It seems so ridiculous. I was using a thesaurus for the, for the whole thing. So it seems like an academic like essay or something I'd write to like a 35-year-old. It's just, <laughs> I had no idea there was like even pre-session trainings. I had no idea that you know, what, what kind of commitments I had to do. Like I had no idea what a TO was. And I, I just thought like, instead of just putting that all like in kind of the pre-session training, why don't we just create like a, a short, like articulate course on all of the teams. And so that if you're a new EYP here, you could look at this and go, okay, what does a jury member do? What is kind of the idea of what they do here are, you know, just the, the different things here's like what a chair does here's what a to is here's an example here's what you will be doing for the next three days um just so you know for someone who's like nervous about applying for a session like i was like terrified of like actually applying for chairperson because i applied for quite a few things before here's he, here's something to make it more accessible and understandable to you so you know you're you're more likely to go for it because you're less you're less terrified of it and yeah, it, it was just an, it was just a fascinating thing because I was actually like a session I'm VPing very soon in Spain, right? I one of the one of the people there, I invited them and they they were a delegate with me years ago, like in twenty nineteen or something. And they had never been an official in UIP. And I talked to them why about this it was just like, Well, I missed the you know, the members training weekend we had in EYP Ireland and said, Well, I'd have no hope hope of doing anything because I had no idea what to do. And they had, re they had no idea there was a pre-session training. They had no idea of anything. And so, yeah, I just decided, yeah, why not? Let's make this more accessible. Let's try and get like a team together. Let's try and find some people who are really experienced in editing, find some really experienced like, you know, organizers and let's just create, create a training guide. And yeah, it, it, it's nice. Like I learned quite a lot, as you said, like the best way to to learn is teaching in many ways. I learned how annoying it is to host the website and try and yeah. take everything from Articulate and put it online. But I kind of got that sorted now. And I'm just cycling through oh. free, account, uh, free accounts and then uploading it to the website and just hosting it. But it would be good fun. It would be good fun. Nah, that's so is cool. That, is that available right now to the world, world wide web? Um, 
No, I want to like, because I'm currently working on the cheering one and I'm going to kind of release it once that one's done in full because at the moment it's just like, there's team building, there's a bit of committee work and there's all these like blank templates. So <laughs> I, I don't want, you know, people to see it and just be like, whoa, uh, this is completely unfinished. I want, yeah. That's true. And it, it's a it's a difficult thing to get into, really, because of that cost barrier where so Joe, the, 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 you get this like 60 day trial so you can like create an account on Articulate. Um, so I got to put Articulate also into context. What Articulate is, if you think about. Um, yeah, if you, if you think about like building beautiful pictures, you have Photoshop, you have Illustrator, you have like all of these different really cool pieces of software and they help you then build the images. But then if you want to work with the images with other people, you want to then put it onto either Dropbox or Drive or like one of these fu- fu- file sharing stuff. Um, so with an e-learning, you have certain software that helps you build the e-learning and then other software that allow people to have access to that e-learning. So you have stuff like Articulate, which is here as an e-authoring tool. And that's the one that we were using that Joshua was talking about there, which is actually really, really cool. Um, and then once you've got that, you then need to find a way for people to get access to it. So you can put it in a learning management system like Moodle, like Absorb, like Docebo, like one of these ones. Um, or you could also just host it on a website in which you're then not filtering who has access to it and who doesn't, but you're just kind of giving people access to it, uh, which is which is pretty fun. Um, and yeah, the, the the issue is is that either you do a sixty day trial or you pay a thousand dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, that that's a minor like, issue. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean there is like there there is charity pricing for five hundred dollars a year for a license, but that's everyone sharing one account which they would expect if there's 10 people working on it, then you have 10 licenses. So that's five grand. Yeah. A year. It's yeah. Um, but it's much easier to just cycle through your trials. Like I currently have EYP training one set up. I'm on EYP training two. EYP training three is going to be in the works for the next three weeks. So yeah, it'll be fine. Well, <laughs> you know, we have to find budget ways of, of doing this stuff. Uh, for me, a really cool thing about this is if you think about how anyway, people beforehand, we had this big push towards guides. I, I don't really feel like the guide approach, I haven't seen it as, as in so much these days, but I remember back in like 2010 to 2014, it was so much focused around building quality guides. And guides are like simple PDFs that someone can then flick through. Whereas an e-learning is kind of like a guide, but it's built with learning in mind and allows you to interact with that learning. So you could plug in different parts of videos, add better types of interactive graphics, scenario games where you kind of click your answer and it kind of moves you on to the next thing. And it kind of allows you then to build more of a course with separate modules inside and a whole learning plan that goes through different courses. And, you know, you have like all these aspects and, like I know myself, I'm re- I'm really fascinated by that, and I think it'd be amazing for EYP to kind of get into that. But then it's it's so time consuming, it costs a lot, and yeah, it requires so much expertise to kind of get it up, and then such a momentum afterwards to kind of continue it on. Every time I'm like, you know what, we should do this in EYP, and then I kind of look at my free time, and I'm like, am I going to now sacrifice all my free time to go into this? I'm doing so many other things. Uh, maybe soon. Maybe soon. You know what? Just after this project, maybe I get into that. 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, it took me a while as well to find uh, free-to-use podcasting platforms to be able to. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Do this. Yeah, that's very fair. With such cheapskates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, didn't there used to be a working group for something like this? Yeah, so um, this is where working groups actually started from is that there was EYP Academy um, and then they were like, oh, actually, this is a really cool thing and maybe this should be a permanent thing that is almost like a working group of the GB for certain things. That's so permanent. Yeah, then they were like, well, this is really cool. Maybe we need working groups for other things. And so EYP Academy, so focus on training, is then what kind of gave birth. And and what gave birth to EYP Academy was the need for a T4AT and the idea around T4AT. So T4AT created working groups um, and then working groups kind of got crunched. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in the training one for two years in a row and we, we, we hardly did anything. We, we, we weren't very well organized between ourselves. I even led it for one year and I can definitely say I did a really bad job at doing that stuff. <laughs> Just, which is probably why they don't exist anymore. Exactly. I, I literally broke them up. I apologize for that, guys. <laughs> yeah. But it, it would be interesting to kind of have these groups that not necessarily led by the GB or any international body, but like groups that try to put these kind of resources together. Like I've been, I was looking at the LL.io EYP team building game catalog and what I what I realized is that if I didn't know the game before I looked at it, I wouldn't understand it. Yeah, you go there and you look at a song. It's like these are just words. I cannot play this repeat after me song based on looking at words on a website. Mm. This is not how songs work. <laughs> uh, and even if someone making wrote a like uh, piano notes for me to play with it that still wouldn't made me un- make me understand it if I don't have the music theory with it so I was thinking of what if we make a a lily.io bar with videos yeah that's um, mm. a module I'm going to do within that I- I'm just going to do loads of games and just at the sessions I'm going to I'm just going to do random games like Ninja because uh, one thing that another thing that I, I-, I kind of have a problem with is like we've been in a- in the kind of the digital era for a long time and I've literally just talked to people and they don't know like games that we kind of all know from physical sessions. It's just like, why don't we play Ninja? And then you're just there and everyone's just like, what is Ninja? It's like, what do you mean, what is Ninja? Uh, I, I had this even worse looking at some of the committees in the Ankara IF and looking at, this is not how you play Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> this is like doing something completely random. I was like... I'm not sure if I'm just old and I have some outdated version, but this doesn't seem to make sense to me. <laughs> How can you play Ninja Rock? It's it's not like a, an extremely complicated game. <laughs> I don't know. So, someone had the idea that maybe instead of, you know, that attack turn being on whoever attacked the last, it goes in the circle. Well, that, that is another set mm. of rules that you can play as well. Like that, That's the rules that we were playing with in Azerbaijan. Yeah. yeah. They also had a rule of you're only allowed to attack the person coming after you. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> I was just uh. like, this doesn't make any sense. They're just like jumping in circles. 
so I guess that's where, um, when I, when I've been talking before about this idea of building a kind of a core curriculum for every role in EYP, um, and building it and building some e-learning for it, maybe some blended approach so to kind of build instructor learning tools so they could use in person as well and all this kind of stuff. The problem is, is that when you, uh, so the problem that that has is the same thing of what we've just been talking about, let's say building a video for each of these team building games, which is there's different ways of playing each of those games. There's different ways of training chair pe- chairpersons. There's different approaches you can kind of take for any of these things. So um, if there are five different rule sets for Ninja, which one is the one that's up yeah. there? And I guess well, Ale.io already does that. It already kind of says a specific version of something. But then I feel if you then start to, well, adding videos within it, I'm not saying it's a bad thing for it, but it would definitely popularize it and make it easier to access, in which we then need to kind of think of, well, if there are different versions of playing that, how is that kind of communicated across? and Or are we kind of drowning out other versions saying that actually this is the better way of playing this game? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think any catalog of games in EYP has reached the popularity level that it would become the only true way to play it mm. and i i don't know i think there could be also ways to kind of document this kind of alterations to the rules that you could have like i mean I, i'm a big fan of in the OIP, the main team building module that i run is basically how do you change any game to do anything <laughs> well not any game to do anything but like how do you change a game's kind of the kind of goals you have for a game by changing the elements that are included in the game and how do you do that with the games that we already play in everyday EYP sessions. Yeah, this is like yeah. me with Mafia. I've I've commonly said that Mafia can be used for any stage of the fire cycle if played correctly. <laughs> That's so true. But no, um, That's so yeah. True. Um, you, so what, what, what's, what's, what's the favorite version of Mafia that you've oh, played then? Uh, the favorite ma- version of Mafia is is um, you need to have you need to have the doctor um, but you also need to have uh, the Cupid, the Cupid people. But then you make one of the Cupid people the mafia, and, and, and it's just, uh, it's just really fascinating. You could just really uh, screw people over, and it, it's just hilarious. Like I remember okay. um, one time I played mafia, and there were two twins in my committee, and it was so bizarre because any time I made one of the mafia and one of them not, they instantly got it first round. They're like, oh yeah, he he's mafia. Uh, and it was just a fascinating thing. They were just interlinked. It was just I played the game like four times at the session every time, and then I just made both of the mafia, and none of them suspected them. They were the greatest mafia players I've ever seen in my entire life. They were just <laughs> incredible, <laughs> incredible. Was, wow, this is beautiful. I, I just I was blown away. That, yeah, that, that there's like a, a really, really stripped down version that I love to play. Um, and I like to play it more like in the kind of honeymoon phase, you know, as you kind of get getting to know each other, honeymoon phase, mm. that, that kind of time where you want to kind of give them some kind of activity that sparks something. It gets them to fight a little bit, but not to the conflict level where they're like, we don't work as a team yeah. yet. It's more like the conflict level of, oh, I'm now being pushed to really mm. figure out who these people are is, um, you yeah you get around to close their eyes everyone sits in a circle you go around you say okay now i'm going to attach one person and they're going to be the mafia um and then when your eyes are open you get you have to work out who it is but you go around and you don't select anyone you select zero people whatsoever what? 
minutes and then you you then give them like 10 minutes to to discuss to debate and then you can say okay now you have five minutes to finalize your discussion and to then vote on who do you think it was and and you're kind of looking around the room and say okay i've got this bag of sweets if you manage to get make sure that you're not found out you get this if all the others manage to get it then i share it to them and you're not allowed to so you, you sort of up the ante oh my a bit god more. and then they they're kind of going for it, but they're not fully pulled in, but they're kind of pulled in. And then everyone kind of votes for, for, for someone at the end. You say, okay, but don't tell us if it was you just yet, because we're going to round this into a second game. So we're going to do a second round and we're going to double the stakes and all this kind of stuff. And then you get around to close their eyes and you tap everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you tap everyone on the shoulder as you go around. <laughs> and then everyone's suddenly really engaged and like really, really hardcore accusing everyone. <laughs> And then you get them to vote. They vote for someone. And then you're like, hey, was it you? They're like, yes. I'm like, oh, congratulations. You found the right person. And then everyone's just kind of confused. They're like, but, but it was, yeah, yeah, it was that person, right? So I says, no, but I thought I was tapped. I thought, yeah, but me too. Then <laughs> it's just like one of these, yeah, a bit of a mind fuck. But what I found is really cool is that it shows you so much about the people because for every single person there, you got to see when they were telling the truth and you got to see when they were mm. lying. And so it's not much as like, oh, as a team, what have we learned and stuff like this? It's more just about you as an individual getting to know the other people around a lot more and started seeing them in two different versions of themselves. Mm. Yeah. That kind of <laughs> brings us to my kind of least favorite part of EYP team building is how the delegates that then are played this game with, they don't understand what you did to make that game interesting for them. And then they go and share this and another session. They try to play that, but don't get the kind of underlying motivation of why they did that. And then yeah. you just have a bunch of people sitting in a circle trying to accuse of each other and not really getting anything out of it. And, and that's kind of... Also, a re reason why I think it would be useful to have a properly explained catalog of EYP Timberland games. That's so true. To kind of get, get the kind of real reasoning also behind of what 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 is the point of playing a game like this, and what are the general types of things that you could get out of it, and what kind of situations of of your group bonding. But it does run into the same issue of. Do I put that entire time, <laughs> entire free time into filming e ten EYP team building games a day? Because there's just so many of them. That's true. I I feel we should definitely still give ourselves a lot of credit in EYP of our knowledge, not just of these different team building games, but the reasoning behind them, the way we use them within group dynamics. Because like in, in the corporate world, team building games are still used quite a lot. As in when teams come together for their like yearly kind of things, you come together, you try to work with your team. Many teams are given different problem solvers and different games that you go through. Um, but then, of course, the person running that hasn't had the hours and hours and hours of like team building trainings and stuff like that that we go through. They haven't been able to kind of 
been next to somebody as they're creating or developing new games or modifying existing ones to reach certain aims and are carefully working through debrief sessions or deciding actually i'm not going to debrief this i'm going to create this other game instead and debrief that one because of xyz and in the team you know we have the luxury of we worked with so many people who think that way and we've learned to think that way potentially ourselves as well and then pass on this learning to others and lots of people in the workplace kind of have been given this i know this like booklet to be like okay this is the game that you're going to be playing this is how to debrief it Mm. and so yeah now and then it does happen in eyp that we kind of pick up the game that we experienced beforehand from someone else and then we play it but i guess that's one of the steps that we do in eyp on our learning path but where we get to in that learning path is kind of way beyond anywhere like in that corporate sphere yeah this is kind of a a a thing like that i i kind of have an issue with 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 my with my own training that i want to create is that i kind of the important thing isn't like kind of the the underlying the if you're going to go to format the what you know like it's not about like knowing how to play a game it's not about how to you know the the words of a lele it's about understanding why you're doing that and how what that actually contributes to a team so you can kind of understand what you're doing and you can change it to adapt it to your delegates and adapt it to the situation you're in. And that's kind of the thing you want to create. Um, and like, and so basically if I just create a thing where I'm just like, okay, this is what you do. This is how you do it. That's doesn't bring them the whole way. And that's one thing in team building. But if you go even further, like in let's say committee work, for example, like I have one particular focus in committee work. I'm very people um, over product and that's one particular style, uh, but I don't want to inflict that on other people and basically say, this is how you do EIP correctly, because there is no way to do EIP correctly. Obviously, there's like, I want to, mm-hmm. I really want to ideally teach people how to teach themselves to be great team builders or great chairs, not like uh, teach them a specific way of chairing that I think is great. Yeah. Um, and that's that's an issue because you kind of need a lot of people, different perspectives involved because there's no way – if I write a, a chairing module, there's no possible way that I'm going to be able to take myself out of that situation completely because you, you don't know your own biases. Like you could, It's impossible to truly understand them. And, yeah, so, so that's just something I'm trying to think about a lot recently about how I can do that. Yeah. There's only so much we can give to people – in a module, hmm. I guess the way people learn, you need to have that experience to then build on. And you can try to give that in a training, but they still need to adapt it themselves to the real world and experiment with that. But training is still, there's still so much value in there. And like, having the kind of basic understanding of what this kind of uh, activities could have as an impact mm. of should I play a conflict game as the last game of the day? Yeah. <laughs> I've encountered that too many times now. Please network, stop playing Abigail as the last thing on your team building day that it can go okay. There can be situations where that's not a catastrophe. But if your committee starts hating each other and they need to send them off for the <laughs> evening, oh, good yeah. luck on your committee work. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's a, that's that's something where you kind of need to understand why you're doing Abigail, and it's not just because a lot of people they know they have to do a conflict game, right? And so they don't understand. But- do they? Well, you'd hope so. Do they have to? <laughs> you'd hope so. Uh, no, but they, but they have this idea that they have to do it, but they don't know when is the best situation to do it or even if Abigail is necessarily the one to do. Like something mm. that I realized, which took me too long to realize, I think it was like the third or fourth time I chaired, I, re- I, I just thought like, why am I doing Abigail when my topic is on antimicrobial resistance, which isn't a big, there is no serious moral dilemmas here. It's a very technical topic. Why am I doing something which focuses on this kind of deep social dilemma with delegates who've played Abigail before? They're going to go into Abigail with all these preconceived opinions. It's not going to be a very effective conflict. Why don't I create a conflict instead, which focuses specifically on the stuff they've they've learned and creates dilemma around you know, vaccine nationalism around um, antimicrobial resistance. And that was something that it was totally new to them. So they, you know, unlike Abigail, um, because this was a national session and they, they played Abigail before. So they actually had to think of new ideas. And they also, it also was much more engaging with them. And it actually reflected the conflict they're going to play later on. And so, yeah, it was much more effective to see how they're going to adapt to a conflict there because it's a conflict they're actually going to face. Which is the point of a conflict. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's another thing. It's understanding versus kind of the academic, what is a conflict game? Okay, I have to do this, yeah. you know? Um, that's something you don't want to emphasize. Yeah, that's true. I, I feel for, for me, my um, the, the time where I, I started to really realize that stuff, that you can build a team building game specifically for your topic and for for the conflict that they're going to face when trying to resolve the topic and that kind of stuff was in Belgrade in 2013. Um, I I had, I was, I was, I was VP co-chair and I had this committee and they were tackling the topic that back then I had no understanding of, which was the common history book. And I was like, yeah, but like the, the, the common European history book. And I was like, but I mean, we have history books. Like, what, what do you mean, common European history book? I, I, I don't get like what what it just didn't click to me whatsoever. And then I started to kind of go research a bit more through, it and start realizing ah, true hist. And, and that that was the moment I was like, yeah, history isn't actually black or white. It's 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 a narrative, and different governments have their different narratives that they choose to talk about in one way or another or include something and disclose something and i'm like okay we're, we're doing a balkan session we're in serbia we do have some delegates from kosovo we're talking about you you know common european history book you know how, how what do we actually talk about when it comes to specific conflicts certain border disputes and different things like this you know i was like okay i'm starting to get this and i thought okay well let's do a team building game that is basically their committee work so we did this game where we said okay so we are now in South America. We are we are in Argentina, and we are saying that Argentina and uh, and Brazil uh, are having a little bit of a, like a little bit of a conflict, and not much going on there. But we, as the Argentinian government, have realised that just on the Brazilian side, there is lots and lots of resources that we want access to. There's this mine, and there's this, and if we could have access to that, that would really, really help us as a country. 
But the thing is, we cannot actually push our military to kind of do something and try to push our border or anything like that over there. Um, and the reason why we can't do that is because our people kind of get along. So um, we split the, the the committee up into two. We said, okay, you as uh, you are the part of the committee that you need to think about as the Argentinian government, how can you write a history book that will motivate your people to to then eventually push into a border change and to kind of militarize to be able to take these resources which are actually in another country and then the other group of the people is you are a non-profit and you want to make sure that you put things into place that prevent the government from being able to uh, tell lies or motivate people in a certain way to, to move there and so the team who have kind of focused in on the, the Argentinian government, they're like, okay, so what if we kind of tell, uh, shape the narrative of this story and say that these, you know, these resources were originally ours. Uh, we can kind of throw it through this fact and that fact and say, when those borders were being created, this is what happened. And we can kind of tell these parts, but then we can kind of like leave that part out. And they were kind of thinking about all the different ways that they could shape a certain narrative of that for the Argentinian people to be believe that, you know, this is ours. We need to go there and take back our territory. Uh, whereas then the people playing the part of the NGO were like, <laughs> well, oh, let's actually think about this more in depth. Let's, let's think, how can we make sure that the government cannot change that narrative? Mm. Let's, let's think about how we can make access to history and access to data or information more accessible. How could we, almost create a gap between what the government narratives tell the, the, the government and history and trying to make sure narratives cannot emerge in that kind of way. How can we create non-formal education practices? What about common history books or stuff like this? And, you know, they started to work wow. through that and kind of going through this game, they, they basically created their resolution. Mm. And for me, that was like the turning point of being like, Oh my God, it's true team building games can actually be designed as analogous of discussions or conflicts that that team need to go through to do what they need to do. Yeah, that that's wow. How long does it take you to like edit <laughs> these generally? It must take ages. Uh, worst case scenario, six hours. An and when you consider, sometimes we record on a Thursday night to release on a Friday. Jeez, yeah, that's that's. I've I've stayed up until like three or four in the morning <laughs> to edit at five in the morning. <laughs> to release it at five in the morning. <laughs> oh my god! Joe has never missed a date. Never. That is Never. very impressive. So very impressive. this is almost a year. Mm -hmm. This is like our fiftieth week into it, or something like mm -hmm. that. So, uh, yeah, congratulations, Joe. Yeah, Maybe. and Joe, you, you now have the intro for your discussion here at the very end. It's going to start with <laughs> how long does it take you to edit this <laughs> stuff? <laughs> that is your perfect intro. We can, we can morally guilt them into uh, watching all the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch through the end. 